what is the future that you choose? What does the world that you want to live in look like? And by taking time to allow yourself to have that vision, and that's often the hardest bit, that somehow we think that we don't matter or what our vision of the world is doesn't matter because it's not happening anyway, or who am I to have that vision? And, and that's the thing that we have to face and we have to go, no, like the future is created by all of us. And so what I want, what I envision is, is part of that creation. Welcome to Spark Joy, the podcast dedicated to celebrating the KonMari method and the transformative power of surrounding yourself with joy and letting go of all the rest. With your hosts and certified KonMari consultants, Kristen Ivey and Karen Sochi. And now, here's the show. Our time here is precious. It's easy to forget. When we connect to our hearts and minds and what unites us, our innate goodness and beauty, we find so much possibility, so much opportunity. This is the revolution. It's happening right now. It is to be found in the day-to-day movements of our lives. When we encounter it, we feel more alive. You don't have to be anything that you are not already. Find your voice, speak your truth, embody your values. How will you create beauty in the world? Our guest today and author of that quote is Amisha Gadiali. She is the founder and host of the Future is Beautiful podcast and the author of the book by the same name. She also holds retreats combining yoga, meditation, and mindfulness. Welcome, Amisha. Thank you so much. Such a pleasure to be here. We're so glad to have you today. We'd love for you to start by sharing a little bit of your journey regarding finding the future is beautiful. What is your background? Well, I started off in politics. So I studied politics at university. I was volunteering uh, with different NGOs, campaigns, you know, an activist. And I left that world and then I moved in because I got a bit delusioned with mainstream traditional politics. I did a stint working at Westminster at the House of Parliament and I did a, a stint interning in Congress in DC as well. And I became quite disillusioned by what I saw at the center of politics. And so I moved into sustainable fashion because I saw this as an industry that touched everything that our world is made up of. So through a piece of clothing, we can kind of understand how everything happens in our world from farming right through to consumer culture. So that kind of led me there away from politics, but my interest in politics had never really stopped. Uh, In 2010 in the UK, we had an election year And I was thinking about how I wasn't excited about the election. And I thought, okay, what what are we really doing when we give our vote to a politician? Essentially, what I realized is we're giving our vote for the vision of the future that we choose, the world that we want to live in, to a politician and asking them to create it for us. And I realized that that model was already dead. And actually, it's what each one of us does that that creates the future. 
And so we all need to have a vision of the world that we want to live in so that we can be creating it and inspiring other people to create it with us. So that was the basis of the project. And I built this ballot box. Well, a friend actually built the ballot box, this beautiful wooden ballot box. And I took it around all these different events and stood in the street with it. And I asked people to vote with their vision of the world that they want to live in. And that was the start of this project. That is such an amazingly innovative project to undertake. It, it sounds like you really identified something that you wanted to show or to bring to your community and did it in a really interesting, tangible way. Amisha, I know you have your own personal story of courage, and I'd love for you to share that with our listeners. Yeah, absolutely. So I had a trilogy of accidents when I was young, the first one at 19 which involved a bus falling down the side of a mountain in Bolivia where we all survived, but it was, it was close. Uh, and the doctors and the police and everyone were quite surprised that that had happened. That accident really gave me a sense of purpose at a kind of critical time. You know, I just left school and I was about to go to university and it really gave me a sense of touching death and realizing, okay, I have to do something with my life and I have to give to others with my life and use everything I have to yeah, use all of the, the beautiful opportunity that I have to, to create something beautiful. And then when I was 21, I then had another accident where I got driven over by a four-wheel drive pickup truck. Oh my gosh. Um, again, another bizarre accident where I don't know how many people there are in the world that have survived that kind of thing. I mean, again, like my legs completely got driven over and, and my head and the rest of my body was underneath the truck, luckily in between the wheels. So I didn't have my organs driven over bar some post-traumatic stress and pain in my legs, which led me into yoga and, and eventually teaching yoga. And later on, it was pretty much fine. You know, I didn't have any major, major injuries. But that accident actually woke up both my spirituality and my creativity. I realized that I'd become very academic and I'd become very hands-on, like volunteering, but I wasn't really making things for myself anymore. I wasn't doing things that were just pure expressions of who I was. And so that started a whole process where, you know, I started singing, I started making clothes, and then I started designing jewelry, which I then took into an actual label. And so that kind of opened up that aspect of my life. And then when I was 24, so three years after that, I was involved in another accident where a very dear friend of mine died. So I had to process at a very young age death and I had to process her dying and not me dying. The feelings of responsibility that I had for that accident, even though of course it wasn't my fault, I definitely had to go through a whole process with that. And so that really brought me into a depth of spirituality because I went around trying to understand what death meant in different cultures and through different lenses in order to find a way to make peace with what had happened. And that's just one series of extraordinary events that happened in a short space of time between the ages of 19 and 24. And of course, they shaped me and many things have happened since. And I continually keep growing and finding more courage. But it almost felt like with each of those accidents, something important that I had shut off at some point had got reawoken. And that's why I really believe in us having these four elements of ourselves awake and alive so that we don't have to go through these kind of initiations. 
Wow, you are extremely brave. And thank you so much for sharing that with us. You have truly not let tragedy define you. You've really used it as a way to triumph. Thank you. It's important for me to add that it's been messy along the way. And Mm -hmm. the process of finding courage and the process of using trauma and tragedy, as you said, to grow and to give is not an easy one. And it does take time and you do have to process your grief and you do have to you know, find support and you have to adequately deal with what's happened in order to be able to move forward freely. I absolutely believe that we are not given things that we cannot handle and that we can all grow from. What I hear from your history and your past is that you've taken these terrible situations and these terrible incidents and have turned them into something that's really valuable and meaningful and has influenced many people. And I'm sure we'll continue to do so. Thank you. Well, you know, if my experiences can do that, even if it's just for one person, then it's worthwhile in some way, you know. So tell us a little bit about who makes up The Future is Beautiful. We know you have a book and a podcast and a think tank, but there's also a very active community that's really involved and engaged in pursuing their vision of a beautiful future. What are some of the common threads that have brought the community together? Yeah, well, the community has come together in stages. With the first project, you know, I did this and I got lots of different people involved and we did a lot of different creative activist projects. So we did a sustainable fashion project, which was a t-shirt design competition, getting people to envision, think at vote. We had all these different interviews where we would go into more detail around how we could create this vision that different people in our community were putting forward. We had artists come and make illustrations of these visions. So I was pulling in a lot of different people, you know, asking them to bring their skills and their way of communicating to share their vision. And the book is actually a collaborative book. So although I edited it um, and put it together and came up with the concept, it actually has over 200 voices in it, all sharing their visions and different aspects of, of what they think are important. And so with Common Threads, what's interesting is when it comes to the basis of it, we all want very similar things. And politics by nature has this way of dividing us and making us choose and making us feel like we're against something. The language of it is very like for and against and opponents and, you know, winning. Whereas actually, when it comes down to our values, Most of us, we just want a world where we feel safe, where we can thrive, where our children can thrive, where we have access to resources. And so that's really a common thread. I love that your platform is called The Future is Beautiful. Love that it's very declarative and it's not saying the future maybe will be beautiful one day, someday. It's very in the now, very grounded and present. And that's what Kanmari method is all about. And I think that whole idea of exploring the vision is very connected to the fundamentals of Kanmari. It's all about tidying our environments, but also encouraging us to take a look at our vision of our best lives and search for what brings us joy and what we want in our lives and the pursuit of joy. And often Kanmari is viewed as self-centered or really focused on objects, but it's really all about using the vehicle of tidying to free ourselves from superfluous things 
and make more space to examine our core values. So I was curious, since you are a student of values, could you explore with us, you know, that side of your work? And could you speak to that a little bit and maybe share some practical tips uh, for our listeners who are trying to nail down their values and connect that to their tidying process? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I love the Comary process. I'm doing it, but um, <laughs> I'm working through some Great. of my attachments as I go. I've definitely got a lot better over the years and I have experienced, you know, what it's like to hoard and to grow up around like lots of stuff and feel a strong attachment to stuff and how it can get in the way. I've done a lot of stuff with my clothes, for example, where I, I stopped buying clothes and I, I, I shared all this online. Like this was some years ago before kind of blogging about our clothes was such a big thing as it is now. And therefore I do still hoard some of my clothes because I don't buy so many more, but I'm constantly thinking I don't need these and trying to, to give more away. And I feel like our values are very similar to our homes you know, essentially our values are how we live our lives. And so if it comes to just who you want to be outside of your very immediate world, of course, we have to look after ourselves. We have to look after our families. We have to look after like our unit of what makes our life possible. But there is a lot of evidence that suggests that if we give, if we're more active in community, if we stand up for the things that we believe in, that we have much more satisfaction feelings of connection and happiness, actually. So in order to know where to start with that, there's so much going on in the world. It's, you know, it's a bit like when you go into the shops, there's so much. And how do you know what to give your energy to? So what I devised with The Future is Beautiful is a way of really finding out what is the most important thing to you. So you go through this process, it's called The Future's Interview, and it's at the back of the book. And I also have it as a, as a download um, and it's free off the website. You can just download it and you can listen to me take you through the questions. The first question is, what is the future that you choose? What does the world that you want to live in look like? And by taking time to allow yourself to have that vision, and that's often the hardest bit, that somehow we think that we don't matter or what our vision of the world is doesn't matter because it's not happening anyway, or who am I to have that vision? And, and that's the thing that we have to face and we have to go, no, like the future is created by all of us. And so what I want, what I envision is part of that creation. So once you've written down what your vision is, you can look back at it and you'll see that there are core values that are kind of out there. And I take you through a few more questions. So what's a think, which is something that has inspired that vision of the future that you have? So that might be a story or a book or a conversation that you had or a life experience that you've had that has shifted your perception. And maybe then there's an act of something that we can do in our day-to-day -day lives that doesn't cost anything. That's just a very simple behavior behavior shift and a vote, which is an organization or a company or something that's already creating this vision out in the world that we can support. So by the time you've answered all of those questions, you see the common themes and actually it gives you a framework, which is like, okay, I'm going to focus on this. I'm going to recognize that these are my values. So for example, 
when you're visioning your future, you might find that you're writing a lot about the environment and, you know, seeing this like healthy, clear drinking water and these rolling hills and that kind of life. And so then you know that protecting the environment is where you want to put your energy. Uh, likewise, it might be that you really imagine a world without child poverty, where every child has access to their basic needs. And so then that guides you to know that that is what you want to give your energy to and what your values are. I really like this idea of trying to move beyond just looking at those things that you don't like right now. For a lot of people, the energy is all about, well, I don't like this, or I don't like that without really identifying what it is that is meaningful. And I think having that vision of the world that you see yourself living in is really kind of critical to being able to be thoughtful about where you stand on different issues. And certainly in Kanmari, that is really the basis for being able to move forward without a vision of, of how you want your day-to-day -day life to be. It's really hard to put that into practice. So super interesting. Many of your interviews in your podcast really focus on this idea of looking beyond the material world to find more meaning. And I know that our listeners would definitely be interested in hearing about some of the insights that you've gleaned from your interviews with your various guests. Can you share a little bit about some of those insights? Yeah, absolutely. So when I decided to start the podcast as a continuation of this project, Part of the reason for that was I feel like we often live in silos, so we don't know what other people are doing that are not necessarily in our immediate world. By world, I mean like, you know, we're interested in certain things, so we listen to certain things or we hang out with certain people. I found that even in this space of wanting to make the world more beautiful. And I found that friends that I have that are very much into the environment just don't really know what's being discussed in the spiritual circles. It's actually quite interesting. So it sounds almost like a contradiction because I just said, like, you know, find the thing that's the most alive for you and give your energy to that. But I think it's important to be open to just knowing how other people are thinking and talking about it in different areas. So I picked these areas that I feel are important for all of us to come alive in, in order for us to create this beautiful future. And that's our politics. So our politics with the small p, which is, you know, our activism, our sense of what we're bringing to our communities, our spirituality, which is just our connection to ourselves on a deeper level. And then it might be connected to a teacher, to a group, to something bigger. Our sustainability, our understanding of not taking more than we need and of what's happening to the world's resources and our creativity, like we need our creativity in order to find solutions and to move things forward. So I'm really interested in waking these four parts of us up and that the more that we come out of those silos, then we become more integrated in the way that we are. And actually that we can bring all those different parts of ourselves to everything that we do. And that creates a, a richness. And so on the podcast, I've been interviewing different people that have different backgrounds. So for example, episode one is with Charles Eisenstein, who is an author and speaker that uh, wrote a book called The More Beautiful World Our Hearts Know Is Possible, uh, another book on sacred economics, and is working on a book on climate change right now. I've interviewed people like Satish Kumar, who is a Jain monk. He came to the UK from India. 
and has set up some incredible projects and initiatives for different kind of lifestyles in the UK. I've interviewed a musician called Bo Huntress who brings mythology and creativity into us understanding, particularly as women, understanding sort of where we've lost our power and how to find more of who we are and understand our cycles and how to live within our cycles. So I cover lots of different areas, but each of these are people who are challenging the dominant narrative that we're in and creating a new one for us. And the main thing that's come up is the word courage. And that's come up quite a lot with a lot of the people that I've been speaking to, if not all of them, whether it was in our conversations outside of the interview or whether it was online, that what we need at this moment is to have the courage to live our values, to have the courage to stand up for what we believe in, to have the courage to make changes in our lives. If we have a nine to five job and it's making us feel depressed and exhausted all the time, that you know we can find courage to realize that another way is possible. That's for me the insight that's really stood out. Spirituality, sustainability, creativity, politics. If anyone of our listeners finds that they're living in a silo, this is exactly the areas of life that can help us really take a look beyond just ourselves or our homes or our immediate circle or bubble. This is really, really cool. You mentioned courage. I would love to hear ways that some of your guests have found that courage because that is the common thread. Yeah, I mean, it's hard for me to tell their stories because that's them. They all have a different story. And sometimes it's been like losing a loved one through illness, or sometimes it's been a spiritual kind of waking up moment. What I find is that when you start to ask these questions, you find that we're so similar. You know, we've all been through things and we can use them to ignite our courage by finding other people that are doing the same thing and are going out in the world and creating the beauty that they see and that they imagine and that they believe is possible, that that gives us permission to do the same. Well, here in the States and in the UK as well, there's just so much going on and there's just a lot of concerns that people have about the future and where we're going. And it's kind of difficult to imagine at this point that we can find a way toward beauty. How do you feel we can best start moving toward that vision of a beautiful future now? We have to take like one bit at a time and not feel like we have to change everything all at once and that everything all at once is our responsibility. And that's why I feel it's really about tuning in to your part of the puzzle. So for example, there are lots of things that I could personally be doing and I've chosen to do this podcast and then I do some other projects and I've chosen that those are the ways that I'm going to do it. And I surround myself with people that believe enough to devote their lives to trying. And, you know, this is where the the spiritual understanding helps because it separates you from the attachment of what might happen. So as an activist, if you're only involved because you need to win, you need that thing to be stopped then it can be very, very draining and it can burn you out. Whereas if you understand that your role is to just keep trying, just keep showing up, 
in the same way that you would for like, say, as a parent or something, you keep showing up even on the tough days and you just keep believing that you're shaping your children to be beautiful adults. And even when they're teenagers and there's twists and turns where it seems difficult, you keep showing up. And I think that's kind of what we have to do with the world. I'm curious, what's next for The Future is Beautiful? Well, the podcast, it started and we launched in November last year. We still have a long way to go with these conversations. And I'm interested in creating more live events. So bringing people together in their communities to inspire each other and creating these networks of support. Because I feel like that's when you go from being somebody that, say, had a moment where you woke up in some way. And it might be that, you know, you read something in the news that changed the way that you saw the world. Or, you know, in my case, it was a combination of some accidents and near-death experiences mixed in with the studying that I was doing that kind of gave me my perspective. But you need other people that... I want to say validate and validate is a tough word because we kind of go around as kids looking for validation. That's sort of how we're brought up. And the more inner work you do on yourself, the more you try and move away from that. But you need validation in that you need someone to say to you like, yes, try, try and I'll help you or I'll be here for you. And so for the podcast, when people are listening, I want our conversations that they hear to touch that part of them that has wanted to do something but not known how. And I'd love to create the communities locally in different parts of the world so that people can find each other and unite. Beautiful. And at this very moment, what is sparking joy for you today? Well, talking to the both of you is definitely sparking <laughs> joy for me today. At the moment, I've just had a sort of re-love of healthy eating that goes in phases, I suppose. I'm just really enjoying eating really well at the moment. So today, food preparation has been very joyful. That feeling that I'm really nourishing myself. It's definitely all about taking a look at those simple little things and finding joy in every day, which is definitely something we are all about. That's great. So Amisha, do you have any final words of wisdom for our listeners? Don't let anyone tell you that there's anything you can't do the more people I talk about and the more stories I hear, the more I realize that a lot of the limitations that we face are our own and the cultural limitations that we perceive. But we really can find our courage and we really can create something beautiful. Thank you, Amisha. We loved having you on the show and the future truly is beautiful. Thank you for sharing your message. Thank you. It's been a real pleasure. Amisha has a special offer for our listeners. She will provide a complimentary intuitive therapy consultation. You can contact her via her website and that'll be available in the show notes. You can find Amisha at thefutureisbeautiful.co and at amisha.co.uk. The Future is Beautiful is on Instagram and Facebook under The Future is Beautiful. So now we want to hear from you. Tell us your burning, tidying questions or share stories about how Kamari has impacted your life. You can find us at sparkjoypodcast.com and click Ask Spark Joy to leave a question or comment for a chance to be featured on next week's show. While you're there, sign up to join our Spark Joy podcast community and get notified when each episode airs. You can also join the SparkJoy podcast community on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at the handle at SparkJoyPodcast. Thanks for tuning in, and we hope your day sparks joy.
Thank you for listening to Spark Joy with your host, Kristen Ivey, of For the Love of Tidy in Chicago, and Karen Sochi of The Serene Home in New York City. Spark Joy, the podcast, is not endorsed by or affiliated with Conmari Media Incorporated. The opinions expressed on this episode represent the views of the co-hosts and guests alone and do not represent the corporate position of Conmari Media Incorporated or the Conmari Consultant Community.